0: hello everyone welcome back to another episode of be here for a while i am the most excited about my guest today uh to me this guy is uh, a legend and if you don't know him you will know why by the end of this podcast uh he he has introduced hollywood to some of comedy's biggest names like dane cook bill burr wanda sykes uh daryl hammond who else who else Uh, dave Chappelle, to name a few just everyone uh and i think you're really gonna love him uh super nice guy gives great advice uh the very famous barry katz thanks for doing this right this This is so
1: (laughs) exciting
0: (laughs) sure it is i am i'm so happy you're here
1: it's a shame you have absolutely no charisma.
0: I really thank you.
1: It's <laughs> unbelievable. You could like light up an entire continent.
0: I figured most of my charisma was in person, but thank you. <laughs> yeah,
1: it is. It is. In oh person. yeah.
0: Well, you know, but they they can't see this. Um,
1: but I can see it. You're look. You're in all your <laughs> splendor. You're wearing a Boston shirt. Do not you like Boston? Boston? The town. Boston. The band, which was one of my favorite bands of all time, and you're wearing your little. Leather dominatrix cast you got on there <laughs> with your with your mini shorts that are I don't even know how where they're going but they're they are not that
0: short these are these are practically pants what do
1: people wear like what do you well do it's
0: do- really hot out it's ninety degrees out
1: I wouldn't know that I've been it inside is, and
0: you're wearing a ski jacket
1: I <laughs> you have two <laughs> layers of shirts I on I have two layers because I, I this building is at the temperature of like a you can raise veal in yeah, here yeah you
0: could it is it is very cool in here but when you go outside you will realize it's probably ninety three degrees out. So, hence the shorts.
1: Okay, well, hence I'll yeah. when I get it <laughs> back See, I
0: have it right. You don't have it right today. When <laughs> I
1: get back in my office, I'll cut these into culottes I or shorts of some or jumper of some kind.
0: <laughs> that would make me happy.
1: <laughs> but I am excited because, Good. you know, this is why I'm excited. Why? Because you're doing it. Oh, let thanks. me Let me just explain to your Please audience do. what I mean by that. You are doing it. You're. <coughs> this is what, uh, in the comedy world, what people violently hate
0: what people doing it
1: they violently hate when somebody starts doing something succeeding at it yeah and they've been doing comedy for 17 years and you're passing them in terms of an audience and they don't understand why
0: maybe because i'm nice to people
1: (laughs) (laughs) well that that could be it (laughs) after this interview we'll see how nice you are to me
0: well like, I, I you know I mess around with my po- my guests a little bit, but i don 't know not everyone 's nice in the comedy industry me and um uh, Andy Cozell, who's a comedian, he did my podcast last week, and w- he was telling me in in the entertainment industry i guess uh and not just in life there 's a type and b type personalities. I always figured I was an a type because i 'm like real driven, and I thought that 's what that meant and he said no you 're a b type personality like me in the sense of yes you 're driven, but you want everyone to succeed like you 're happy to see everyone around you succeed. Like, you're not the type that wants to step on someone to get ahead.
1: So you're not that person in the back of a comedy store with a cigarette going, (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) ugh, dirty, rotten world. It's not her time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. First of all, I don't smoke. Second of all, no, I mean, it's like, I figure, I've I've, I've always known I was going to make it and be fine, and so when you see other people succeed, I feel like you know it's out. that, That means there's opportunity out there, and, and, uh, and I like to see talented people succeed, like especially with comedy, because it's not like someone that moves to L.A. and is like, I want to be an actress. And then just has nothing else behind it. Comedians really do work for what they have.
1: But in your opinion, out of 100% pie yeah. of all the stand-up comedians that you see and you've seen in your lifetime, yeah. how many of them are extraordinary?
0: Uh, extraordinary?
1: What percentage?
0: 15% percent maybe? 20%?
1: F- really? That many?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, well, like, okay, extraordinary is a big word. So, okay, maybe 10% are extraordinary. 20% are, are, are really great and are entertaining and, you know, could have huge careers. A lot of those people can still have huge careers. Extraordinary, that is a much smaller number.
1: Can You're you right. Imagine if you, you said to your friend, hey, let's go out to a restaurant tonight. Uh great, let's go. Uh what do we got? How many choices we got? Well oh, here's ten choices here. Well um, listen, nine of those uh the food really sucks. <laughs> so we can only go to this one.
0: Well then you'd want to go to the good one. That's right. But there's some places like okay, so let's say there's ten restaurants. One is like uh you know, Mastro's steakhouse, which I'm saying I guess that's extraordinary. Sometimes you're not in the mood for like
1: That's mad. where your dates take you.
0: No, I'm just trying to think of something like fancy. <laughs> that sometimes you want something more like, I don't know. It doesn't. <laughs> nice. Whatever, it doesn't really translate. Stop laughing at me, Barry.
1: I'm laughing at myself. <laughs> I'm laughing at myself.
0: Uh, so we Barry and I met probably like several years ago. Uh, my friend Alex Shankman set me up with a meeting with him when I was very green and very new to comedy. Perhaps I should not have met you then. Because I was like, I just started doing comedy. and <laughs> But you were really nice to me, and you gave me great advice. And we bonded over the fact that uh, Barry used to work with the disabled before he got into comedy, and I used to date the disabled.
1: <laughs> 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 so
0: we had a lot of bo- common. <laughs> we
1: both did God's work. Yeah.
0: Exactly, just in different you ways. You did it a little
1: better than <laughs> I did, I think. Uh, I think the guys were a little bit happier with you than they were with me. But uh, well, it was
0: only one? I was <laughs>
1: changing and doing strange things and helping people get dressed, and you were helping them get undressed. Probably. Yeah,
0: yeah. There we go. Just one. <laughs> just oh, wait, one. I didn't go on like on a disabled kick. Just one paralyzed guy.
1: Got it. Yeah. No, but that's what's really uh, what I really bonded with you about because mm-hmm. this is one thing about the world that I think is so confronting in terms of men and women yeah and maybe I'm generalizing but most women uh, well you rarely see a disabled woman with an able-bodied man good point (coughs) but you often see a disabled man with or or a, a, a man with some kind of disability With an able-bodied woman yeah and that's what's amazing about women what's so disappointing about men women understand the whole picture they understand the whole thing it's not just about one thing it's about the whole picture of what it is and men they just a lot of times if i'm generalizing most of them don't get that and that's one of the things that you know if you're dating a guy who's disabled yeah you're joking about it, but that says <laughs> that says a lot about you as a person. It says that you. I- it's not out. O- it's not all about just one thing or what d- they they look like here, how they yeah. are there. It's how
2: well he was th- very handsome.
1: How their heart is, <laughs> yeah, and how their mind is, and how they feel about you, and how they treat you, and how safe they make you feel. Yeah, and that's what it's all about for women. That's one of the things that um, is the top of the umbrella Mm you know safe and then everything trickles down from there it's like if you can be in a situation and anyone in your audience it it applies to everything it applies to whatever thing you're in even if you're going out for a job if you make your boss feel safe you'll have a job forever yeah that's a good point if you're a woman and you're in a relationship you want to feel safe you want to know when your guy says he's in Peoria, Illinois at the Four Seasons and you call the Four Seasons, they don't say, hey, there's no one by this name. You want to know that on your birthday, (laughs) there's a card and there's flowers or there's something to remember you by. You want to know at 4 o'clock in the morning when you get up to go to the bathroom that you don't fall on the toilet because he left the seat up. (laughs) It's like you want to feel that safety. Men, sometimes they don't even care about safety. The fact that it's not safe excites the more yeah and that's the difference of how things normally work a lot not of not safe
0: in terms of like like crazy girls
1: <laughs> it could be crazy girls it could be anything they yeah. they, they live on an edge of look <coughs> ever watch love and hip-hop for those shows <laughs> i or mean let's, let's ta- let's i mean i know what it is let's talk about your show a little bit and oh jesus no, um, uh, just briefly <laughs> how many times in your show or any of these shows do you hear a woman saying I gave him the best 3 yeah. years of my <laughs> life. Have you ever yeah. heard a guy say, "I gave her the best 3 years of my life"? No, you never hear I that. Mean,
0: not as outwardly, but I I've, I've, I've heard a guy like grovel a little bit after.
1: <laughs> really?
0: Not like not like that. Yeah. But <coughs> This is my theory, yeah. okay? This is
1: a really <laughs> I'm going to get shot here. This will be uh this will <laughs> be, be the end of my everything I have. I really, truly believe that mm-hmm. men from the waist down have no value at Probably. all. Probably. Women from the waist down, valuable. <laughs> it's incredible. It's what, you know, it's it's the way the world is built. It's like, it's, it's this weird thing that it's unspoken, yeah. but for instance, let me ask you a couple questions. All right. How many guys in your life have you known that a paid? A woman for sex?
0: uh... P- probably only a couple.
1: And how many have you heard of? How many that?
0: heard of? uh... probably a lot more. A yeah, lot I mean they're not going to admit to it. Great. Yeah, how no one I would date. But
1: <laughs> how many women have you heard or talked to that have paid a man for sex?
0: I don't zero.
1: Zero. Yeah, that's right. Cause men from the waist down, <laughs> no value. <Yeah>. Women <laughs> from the waist down, valuable. So for instance, let's take you right now. Okay, somebody asked you out uh-huh. on a date. All right. Okay. You go out on a date. This is what's the fundamental thing that nobody talks about. Okay. That is it feels like the world is is laced with prostitution in a subliminal way. Okay. Oh, I know you I know, you're, I know you're This is where s- I'm going. Yeah. So a guy takes you out on a date. You go out to Mastro's, let's say. All right. The bill comes. He looks at the bill. He's like, "Hmm, this is great. Huh? You ordered the sea bass. That was <laughs> thirty nine ninety five. I ordered this. Is, listen, I I'll take care of the tax. So uh, why don't you uh, give me seventy dollars and thirty six cents, and I'll take care of the ninety. Is that okay? You would never go out with that guy again. Yeah, probably not. Okay, But if he pays for the whole thing and he's a nice guy and you have a kind of a connection and you feel kind of conservative that night and you don't sleep with him and you just hug him goodnight and he asks you out again, let's say he says, hey, you know, in that conversation, I I know you kind of like Aerosmith and – there's yeah. a concert coming out. And I got a couple of tickets. I was wondering if you'd like to go. You'd be like, that's so exciting. you go to Staples yeah. Center. Of course
0: I'd go see Steven Tyler. I'd go with someone I didn't like. That's
1: <laughs> right. So you go to Staples Center <laughs> yeah. with this guy, and it's all exciting. And you get there before you go in, and he looks at the tickets, and he's like, listen, uh, okay, um, your your ticket is $175. <laughs> you would never go out with that guy again. But yeah. he pays for the ticket, you go out with him again. And then, yeah. if you like him, at some point in time, I'm not, I'm not saying what your line is or what your trajectory, yeah. there's gonna be a point in time where you're gonna feel safe, but that's at a cost. He doesn't get to be with you. He doesn't get oh, to so be it's intimate. Like a certain level of prostitution he doesn't <laughs> get to be intimate with you unless he spends a certain amount of money. You will never, he'll never get to be with a woman of your caliber and your stature now that doesn't mean to say and i don't yes. know i haven't followed every one of your podcasts <laughs> that doesn't mean to say that you haven't met a guy hiking on runyon canyon and you know went to his futon i don't know yeah. that might Let's have
0: just remember again i did date someone paralyzed so clearly my <laughs> standards aren't like insanely high
1: that doesn't i, <laughs> I, don't, know, think you know that I don't think that means anything <laughs> at know. all and that man who was disabled mm-hmm. also took you out and paid for dinner yes he did and and so the point is, is that think about all the times that you have been intimate with somebody who you went on several dates with or a few dates with. Oh, yeah. They There's threw
0: down a couple Hyundai.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's money that was spent yeah. to be able to have the chance yeah. to be intimate with you. And if that doesn't happen, they don't – and that's the thing about our world that's so fucked up. It's yeah. because people are like, oh, you see that girl over there? She uh, – I know she works at the Peninsula Hotel. She sits at that bar. Yeah. And she gets guys to pay money Mm -hmm. for sex. Yeah. But every guy in this country Mm -hmm. and this world is expected to wine and dine a woman to get her to trust him enough. Yeah. That she will share intimacy with him and love. And that's the weird part about the world that's that's messed up for women. And for men because it sets that dynamic in place. Nothing is a greater feeling in the world. Now, granted, I don't think I've – there's only one time I can remember in the last God knows how many years Uh when a woman is actually paid for anything – uh, uh, meal. When they're well, when Jesus, been you're not hanging
0: out with me then. I feel like I pay for people all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like all the time. But
1: there's a, it's a great feeling when yeah. it does happen and it's yeah. a surprise, even if it's like $20 or whatever it is. Yeah. But I think that's one of the things about the world socially that's a little weird. Yeah. Now oh, yeah. but on the other side of the coin, if I could uh, shit on myself for a second, if I were, let's say, out with somebody like you, uh-huh. And I were at a restaurant. Let's say we both mutually decided to go to that restaurant. Or let's yeah. say y- even you asked me to okay. go to the restaurant or somebody like you. And the bill came. If you tried to pay for it, I wouldn't want you to pay for it. So that's where I'm guilty. Well, like maybe because it's ingrained
0: be in you by this point? I don't maybe, know. Maybe.
1: Like, I would yeah. feel shitty if you paid for it. So on the other side of the coin, so I'm, just as I'm just as guilty because I feel better yeah. If I do something nice like that and I'm not expecting anything, I don't expect anything yeah. from. And that's, I think, when the best things happen. Yeah. That way, personally. But yeah. I'm sorry to go on a personal. No, tangent, no, no, no. I.
0: Yeah. No, that that makes sense. I mean, it's got to it's got to suck for guys to have to pay for things all the time. But I think, yeah, I think it also makes them feel good and in control, I'm sure. You know, probably well kind of emasculating when I. What I've heard from,
1: but what I've heard from a lot of women, what they love to do is if they do go out on a first date, uh-huh. they love to pay for their portion or at least the meal so they know that they are in total control and there's nothing expected of them. I probably
0: would if it was someone that I didn't know very well, if it was like a set up blind date thing. I, you know, something like that's just to make sure the, I don't know, the dynamic wasn't weird.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe don't know but I think the I si- don't like
0: I don't like the feeling of someone like thinking they, they can expect something
1: it's not an expect something it's the the I've heard this from a lot of women and you can tell me if I'm wrong uh, most women let's say between 25 and 40 who are single
3: mm-hmm.
1: everywhere they go if there's a If there's a night that they go out, their friends say, hey, let's go out to the Roxy. Yeah. (coughs) Or let's go out to this restaurant here. Or there's a party after the Emmys here. Yeah. If they're single, in the back of their mind, I'm not saying everyone. Yeah. But a lot of women think, this could be the night that I meet the guy that's going to s- be my soulmate yeah guys don't leave the house <laughs> <laughs> thinking tonight's going to be the night i'm going to meet my soulmate probably not they'd much rather say tonight's going to be the night i'm going to meet my cellmate
0: <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of the same thing i'm sure in their <laughs> mind <laughs> that's funny well i don't know girls, we're maybe we're just more optimistic could be but i don't know
1: could be you know, I'm sorry that I've started no. this off not talking about the business. Not at all. I just I but I do want people to know that um you are really doing something special and, and I'm mean your podcast is like it's like skyrocketed to like the you know, you're like next to Marin and, and Corolla and, and <laughs> it's like unbelievable. I wonder if
0: they're like, Who is this kid?
1: <laughs> well, you got that, that that image of yourself with a glass of wine and that beautiful picture, and it's like but I. But it's not
0: that m- pretty. It's supposed to look like I not pretty. S- I say to
1: myself, I'm never gonna get as many uh, hits as you unless <laughs> I figure out a way to make myself look that way. But that's
0: not a very pretty picture. My head is like. I'm the point is, so it looks like I'm like at a bar or something, ordering another drink. I'm not. I was. I was trying to purposely look not like cheesy. That,
1: see, that's your winning formula. Huh. Your winning formulas, Oh shucks, I'm just another girl, I'm just an average girl (laughs) on a countertop leaning over with a glass (laughs) of wine. Oh shucks, you know, I'm just just average. I'm I'm not saying I'm average. I'm a five, everybody. I'm
0: not saying I'm average, I'm saying my personality oftentimes doesn't fit.
1: know where you stand, so don't (laughs) fuck with me.
0: Well, my point is my face isn't showing in it, but whatever, good point. I guess uh, yeah, my shoulders really interesting in that photo. <laughs> that's all it is,
2: pretty much.
1: No one puts up <laughs> a photo that's gonna be seen by a bazillion people that they don't think is flattering.
0: Well, I knew it was flattering. Okay, <laughs> but I'm just saying it wasn't supposed to be. What's really
1: amazing sometimes when I talk to you is you actually believe your own bullshit. It's incredible. I believe all my own bullshit. <laughs> this is how I survive it's the entertainment fantastic. industry.
0: I have a I have a theory that I have delusions of grandeur. I can convince myself of anything just to self-soothe.
1: Like <laughs> I like that self-soothe. I'm gonna yeah. use that. Like, can I steal that?
0: Absolutely. Alright. It's like Kay. someone tells me no in the industry. I'm like, all right. Well, that just means that something better is coming, and they are missing out. <laughs> like, they don't. I can just sort of. I have, a, I have a talent for that. But I believe my own bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very smart. Anyways. Well, what made you start a podcast when you've been in the industry so long? What made you want to like go from, I want to give, I wanted to organically bring up your background for people because I feel like, okay, so a lot of my listeners probably come from, so the show Vanderpump Rules, which by the way, I only do for comedy. I need to make that clear. You probably don't, you haven't heard enough of my podcast to know that, but I've only done it because they've filmed me do stand up every season and there's a whole, whole way I planned this whole thing. It was a very calculated move of how I did that show. But anyways, my friend on the show, Stassi, she has a very successful podcast. And uh, uh, I started doing hers. And so I think I got a lot of my listeners from that. So it might be more people that are watching reality shows, you know, other than comedy people. So I want to give, like, a little more background on who you are. Uh, How did you start in the entertainment industry? And what were, you know, I'd like to hear it in your words, not me read your bio.
1: No, I love that. I... Uh, when l- let's just put a timer for, like, five minutes when we can wake your audience up <laughs> after this. <laughs> they um, should
0: hear it. You have a fascinating career. I'm fascinated by it.
1: I um, <coughs> My dad passed away when I was four. Mm-hmm. And when I was a teenager, I started, like, exploring in the basement of things that were there and what was going yeah. on. And I remember I pried open this old, old rusted file cabinet, and I opened it up. And there were like 50 albums, old, musty albums. Yeah. And believe it or not, I was from a town called Longmeadow, Massachusetts, which was an all-white town. There was not one African-American family that lived there out of 15,000. Uh-huh.
2: It's a pretty small town.
1: I open up the uh, file cabinet. Every album is a black artist. It's Louis Armstrong, Nat King Cole. The Supremes, Diana Ross as herself uh, alone. Mm -hmm. It was Shirley Bassey who sang Goldfinger. Mm -hmm. And there's three albums of white artists. Uh And they're all comedy albums. It's uh, Jonathan Winter's Comedy and Tragedy. It's The Smothers Brothers, Crabs Walk Sideways and Lobsters Walk Straight. (laughs) And it's Bob Newhart, The Button-Down Mind. Okay, So... I want to listen to these, but the record player downstairs, the console record player that's literally the size of like a dresser, has been down there for like 15 years and is musty and all ruined. So there isn't one. And we don't have any money, really. Yeah. So back then, when you went to a grocery store, they would put green stamps in your bag for every dollar you spent, and you would take, you would paste them in these books and you could present these books at a redemption center, and they'd be like money, sort of like credit card miles oh or cool. things like that. Uh-huh. And I bought a record player, a full-down record player there, with like 30 books, and I started listening to the music, which I liked, but I really wasn't into it. started listening to the comedy. Jonathan Winters was a little crazy. Uh-huh. Some other brothers was funny, but it was all musical comedy. Mm-hmm. But Bob Newhart spoke to me. Mm-hmm. He was like a genius because he did what's called... I'd call it dialogue humor. Okay. And the closest thing your audience, I would say, would find to dialogue humor is if you YouTube Ellen DeGeneres' first Tonight Show. Mm -hmm. She did a two-minute piece called Conversations with God. Oh, I remember that And that's the kind of comedy he did. He didn't recreate the characters like the comedians today who will act out each character. Mm -hmm. He presented the whole scene but he did it himself and I'll give you an example if I can remember it, because this is like <laughs> 30 years ago and one of the things I want to share with your audience is that Bob Newhart was asked to do an album by Warner Brothers he wasn't even a comedian he was a sketch guy on radio and television uh-huh. he said I'm not a comedian they said we don't care just record something in the club so we recorded something in the club of like a hundred people, two hundred people. Oh wow! So today, if you're a comedian and you record a set, and people aren't dancing around, high-fiving each other, and giving you a standing yeah. ovation, you feel you're a failure.
0: Oh yeah, you feel like you're gonna kill yourself. <laughs> you listen to Bob
1: <laughs> Newhart's record; it's 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 very low laughter and titters, and but it was smart, and this is how he used to do it. And I hope mm-hmm. I can remember this. He'd say, uh, "Listen, there's a group of people who go to work every day and." And they don't know if they're going to come home at night. And I'm talking about America's driving instructor. Uh, <laughs> America's <laughs> driving instructors. Now, picture <laughs> a car. Uh, I'm the driving instructor. And seated next to me is a woman driver. Now, back then, in 1959, a woman driver was the equivalent of a comedian maybe shitting on an Asian driver yeah. or something like that. yeah. And then he would just start. He'd say, okay, uh, how you doing? Let me just read down and familiarize myself with the case. Uh, you're Mrs. Webb, is that correct? Yeah. Uh, and your instructor was Mr. Adams, is that correct? Yeah. Um, how, uh, how fast were you going on Mr. Adams' jump from the car? <laughs> s- s- 75. And, and where was that, Mrs. Webb? In your driveway. <laughs> And that was his kind of comedy. I kind of like it. And it It wasn't like... It's not too over the top. But it blew me away. And so I started learning it and memorizing the driving instructor. And I did it at a talent contest at my school in front of a thousand people. Oh, my gosh. And it killed. Like, the response was like a hundred times more than Bob Newhart on the record. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, this is an amazing fact... The Button Down Mind of Bob Newhart in 1959 mm-hmm. was Warner Brother Records first gold record was a comedy oh wow. record. Amazing. That's crazy. And so and so then when I went to college I forgot about it. And then there was a blizzard in 1978. That's right. I'm ancient. So <laughs> and There was no cars anywhere, snow banks as high as 20 feet, (laughs) and I'm standing in Kenmore Square, and for anyone who's been to Boston, Mm -hmm. Kenmore Square is like this hub where you look up these three streets. There's Brookline Avenue where Fenway Park is. Mm -hmm. You can look up Beacon Street where Simmons and all the women's colleges are up there. And there's Commonwealth Avenue to the right, where there's Boston University and farther down, Boston College. Okay. And you're right in the heart of everything. And I hear laughter, and it's like midnight, and there's like nobody anywhere. And this was like a real groundbreaking moment for me. I look over, and there's a brownstone pub, and the name of the pub is called Crossroads. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I open the door, and it's one of those stairways that goes right up, Uh but a high stairway. So you know when you're walking up a stairway and you hear stuff, but when you're walking up, you're just staring at the stairs. Yeah. And then when you get to the top, then you can see the bottoms of people's feet, and you sort of slowly can see things. Yeah. And I slowly peek my head up. There's about 30 people sitting there watching a comedian on stage. He's got his foot on a uh, a chair, Mm -hmm. one on the ground, and he's strumming a guitar he looks like a young larry from the three stooges (laughs) and he's singing rachel my dear oh how i miss her he was doing comedy in the background of a guitar okay but it was smart comedy Mm -hmm. and he was very low-key and he said after he said and every time she wanted more she'd light a match Mm -hmm. he just said thanks and he got up and he walked off past me, down the stairs, out the door. The crowd's applauding. Uh huh. I'm like, that was, I'd never seen a stand-up comic before. And I run down after him yep. and gone, can't find him. I run back up, I talk to the well manager. Oh, he's going to his next gig. I say, <laughs> who was that? And yeah. he said, that was Stephen Wright. Oh, wow. First comedian I ever saw. That's cool. And so I did an open mic night in that place. And I uh, got there, and I just got back from a swimming championship. My head was shaved. <laughs> but I had a really, I, I looked good back then, unlike yeah. what I look like <laughs> now. And so the guy introduces me, and he says, this next guy, uh, I haven't seen him before. Um, uh, he's a funny gay guy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he's not funny. Please welcome him <laughs> <go laughs> And so he t- completely eviscerates me. Yeah. But I handle it. I go on. I do the bob newhart routine i say i'd like to do a bob newhart routine you It means announced a lot it? to me <laughs> it's really special to me and i want to share it with you called the driving instructor i do it kills again and i'm like wow this comedy thing is interesting i start walking away <laughs> the, the the guy who hosted it, he was called the taxi driver ross bickford big imposing guy runs after me he's like cats cam I'm like i'm scared i'm like what is it he's listen that was amazing i want you to come back next week but i got some advice for you I said, yeah, what is it? And he said, next time, next time you come here and you do a bit like that, don't announce the guy whose bit you're doing. Just <laughs> take the fucking bit. <laughs> just steal it and do it on stage. Or um, write
0: your own material. <laughs> and I'm like, oh,
1: well, thank you so much. And I <laughs> walked up. I never went back there again. I yeah. started writing my own material. Yeah. And then I started performing around, and I started doing really well. And I started with, like, Stephen Wright and Leary and Paul yeah. Poundstone and Jonathan Katz and all these great, great comedians. And then I was seen by somebody who ran a comedy club called Play It Again Sam's, which was mm-hmm. a, upstairs was a movie bar. This is before DVD. So you can okay. imagine the movies that come uh, out okay. on DVD. So he would play them upstairs and oh, downstairs cool. was the comedy. And I was the doorman there. And then they fired the guy. And I. I was given a comedy club when I was in college. Like you were run. managing it? Yes, and managing booking and stuff. Wow. Booking, doing everything. And that was my start in comedy.
0: So then you you basically just started doing more of the business side of it and less of the comedy.
1: Yeah, because I, I I was hosting some shows. I was hosting a lot of shows because I found I could host the shows and I could make the money that the host would normally make and I was proficient at doing that. I was a great host. Yeah. I could always do great when it came to hosting, and it became very, very successful. and It became, I'd say, what the comedy cellar is in New York. It uh-huh. became in Boston. It was like just this hangout, like so everybody came there. So you knew you were hangout. good at
0: managing clubs, and that's how you went. So then you went to New York and you started the Boston Comedy Club there.
1: Yeah, well, I. Why do you
0: call a club the Boston Comedy Club in New York? <laughs>
1: because clearly, I'm an idiot. <laughs> um, no, well, I. It seemed to work. <laughs> I. The thing about the club in Boston, I well, another thing happened to me that was really tough. Uh, my wife, I was married. My wife passed away after eight months. So That's I was sad. so I w- she was twenty three. And what happens? I'm sure your audience, uh, some of them have experienced this. Like when something bad happens to you, there's this positive negative effect that happens with people mm-hmm. you know people you know you see them out they come up to you they hug you they tell you look is there anything we can do we're there for you and they're wonderful and they're supportive and incredible but every time they come up to you is the they share the memory of the tragedy
0: yeah and and it just reminds you of it yeah
1: so you but they're trying to be nice and they're wonderful but on the other side if you're sitting in your house saying, "Oh, uh, how come that guy that I used to be friends with doesn't talk to me anymore?" Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. So you don't so you don't even know what you want at that point in your life. So I just I was doing well in Boston and I said, "You know what? I got to get out." And one day I just got in my car wow. and I drove to New York. I got off at the 79th Street boat basin exit. I drove uh um east. And I hit uh, Broadway in this restaurant around 70th Street. I got out, parked my car. I sat at the bar. There was a pay phone. I looked for uh, real estate agents. Mm -hmm. I called one, waited for the phone to ring. Phone rang. Said, I'll show you this place at 82 West 82nd Street, right near where Seinfeld lives, but only about the size of his bathroom. (laughs) And I rented a place for $935, and I was in New York. And I was there. I didn't know why I was there, what I was going to do. But I thought to myself, if I can open an office here and I can open up a comedy club, I'll do it. Eddie Brill, who used to book the Letterman show and was the warm-up on the Letterman show, told me he had a club downtown. He was leaving, going to L.A. Mm -hmm. I go down there. It's a dive. It's on 82 West 3rd Street. It's like beat up. There's nobody there. There's paper signs all over the place. And I find out who's booking it. It's Rick Messina. Now, for those oh, yeah. of you who don't know in your audience, Rick Messina and a guy named Tony Camacho used to do what I did, which was in Boston. I used to book, like, all these one-nighters all over the place. That was my business. Mm-hmm. And I had the comedy clubs. They did that in the New York area. But Rick started managing Tim Allen and Drew Carey, left for L.A. But before he left, he was this was the la- one of the last clubs he ran. And I made a deal with him. I said, listen, you don't want to do this. Just give it to me. (laughs) And he said, yeah, I'll give it to you. And I went there, met with the owners. I said, I have this vision for the Boston Comedy Club, great Boston comedians and New York comedians. Will you let me do it? And I I guess I was a great salesperson because they let me do it. And my first night, my first night, the guy who was helping me set up the chairs, Uh fixed the place right, run the mic chords was a young 18 year old redhead from boston <laughs> named louis, louis ck that's cool he and was just 18 he was, he was the first comedian on the stage he was my first client i ever managed he was your first life. client yes
0: wow what did you see in him that made you want to sign him so young was he was he really good when he was really young
1: he was really good he was a great stand-up a wonderful guy a great creator he always had every electronic device for like the the Mac that looked like a brown-beige uh, shoebox with a uh-huh. f- screen heat. That w- was one of the first people to have that. But there's one thing that that made me want to represent him that is kind of odd. Your audience will probably think it's odd because it probably has nothing to do with talent right away, even though he was incredibly talented. Uh-huh. I remember when my wife passed away you know there's those times when you go through a tragedy where you just you're just in bed you don't want to do anything you don't want to see anybody and I was in that place where I was just I just don't want to see anybody and and back then you had those answering machines that when somebody called you could hear uh, the answering machine Uh and I remember it was Christmas (coughs) I'm Jewish but Still, it was, Christ- yeah. see, Jesus was a Jew. It was Christmas, and the calls started coming in. Oh, God. Every 15 minutes, he would call. Cats, get up. You're coming to my house for Christmas. Beep. Cats, I'm telling you, I'm going to fucking come over there. Get <laughs> up. I'm not letting you do this. Beep barry i'm not fucking around (laughs) and then one time it was just he was just talking and he made some jokes and i just was like in bed and i just picked up the phone i'm like yeah and he's like barry come on over man we got a place at the table for you
0: oh did he live with his parents still yes oh
1: and i got in my car it was a (laughs) snowstorm i'll never forget and i drove over there they had a place at the table they had gifts for me
2: Oh, what nice people. It was
1: one of the most amazing moments of my life. And I just said to myself, if you can represent people who are talented people, who are have a lot of drive, who believe in themselves, but also are good, generous people, mm-hmm. it's really important. I w- just did a podcast with Jay Moore, mm-hmm. and he said something really amazing. He said he went to an AA meeting, his first AA meeting was this older guy speaking and he was young he didn't really get it mm-hmm. and the guy sensed that he didn't get it and he sort of followed him out of the church or wherever it was and he said young man listen to me before you leave here he said out of all the people in the world 90 percent of them are takers i believe and it. 10 percent are givers so before you leave here today You should decide which one you want to be i like that that day and throughout my career with louis and ever since i've known him he's always been a giver look at his (laughs) show look at how many friends of his yeah see he's got that
0: b type thing i was talking about i'm not 100 sure that that's exactly what that means but where yeah you're not jealous you're not you're not afraid to put a friend on your show because you're not afraid they're going to outshine you or something you you want them to do well you want them to be as you know as happy as you are and doing as well as you are
1: absolutely I like people like that and so when i was in new york i decided that i opened an office at 57th and broadway Mm -hmm. and because my mom always said that's where the entertainment was i didn't know and i opened (laughs) up the club and i had my foundation and i had some money from the boss because it was a cash business the Mm -hmm. club and I had something to sort of get me going there. And I realized I couldn't manage people like Colin Quinn or the people who were already making it there. Because why, why are they going to be represented by a guy who's never done anything before? It's like it's like I don't have anything going. I don't have any experience. So I had to manage young people. So I managed teenagers. And uh-huh. my first clients were all young people like, like that. Who? There were Louis C.K., Chappelle. Jay Moore, Tracy Morgan, uh, Jeffrey Ross, um, uh, Dane Cook. Um
0: and were all those guys in New York at the time?
1: Yes. Okay. And um, Dane had moved to New York. So it was this group of people, and there's so many more that I'm not mentioning, that were just uh, Anthony Clark, who was like, he was probably booking everything because like he had an acting background. hmm And so every audition he went on, he was booking sitcoms, movies, everything at the time. Yeah. And it's interesting how the trajectory goes with artists. Certain people go certain ways. Certain people go others. Like Anthony has made so much money that he, right now, he just, I mean, I think he owns like five houses. And he just doesn't, you know. If there's something that comes along, he'll do it, but he's not concerned about it. He yeah. wants to live a great life, and he doesn't want any That's of, craziness of the craziness of the business. Yeah. But then there's other people how it's cyclical. Like, for instance, um, Jay Moore was opening up for Anthony Clark mm-hmm. when he found out he got SNL. Oh, Wh- uh, when Jay and got I- and SNL? That and that night, Anthony Clark said to him, listen, tonight... At the show, you know, you're going to close the show because you got that credit now, and I'm going to introduce you as that.
0: That's so cool. And
1: so, but it's that kind of thing where where I represented these young people, and I felt they could act. I felt they could do everything, mm-hmm. and that's what I wanted to do. And before I knew it, I had four people on Saturday Night Live. Who were your first four? Jay mm-hmm. Moore, Tracy Morgan, uh, Daryl Hammond, and Jim Brewer. That's cool. How old
0: was Daryl Hammond when he got on SNL? Wasn't he older?
1: He was older, and that was a really interesting thing. When I met Daryl, he came into my office to uh, for a management meeting, and he was meeting with all the other companies. And he said to me, uh, you know, he's very quiet, Daryl. Very, mm-hmm. very soft-spoken. Um, very interesting, complicated man. Mm-hmm. Um, so talented. Um... And he really wouldn't open up, and I just huh. I just said to him, look, what do you want? Yeah. And I'll never forget this. He crossed his legs, and he leaned on, like, a side table and put his <laughs> hand <laughs> on the side of his face. Uh-huh. And he said, I came to New York from Florida to be on Saturday Night Live.
0: <laughs> well, he knew exactly
2: what he wanted.
1: And I remember this so vividly, I I got into like the 90 degree counseling position, like where you're squaring off with somebody yeah. and you're just there looking them in the eyes and I said, I will get you on Saturday Night Live. And if I don't get you on Saturday Night Live, y- the first time I try, fire my ass right then and there.
0: How were you so confident? How did you know you could do it? Based on his talent or are you just kind of like... Saying this stuff so you could get the client.
1: No, I always have this thing, and I can't quantify it. You could never quantify it in a court of law. I can shake somebody's hand, and it's mm-hmm. like the dead zone. I can see the future. I can yeah. see what's happening with certain artists. Yeah. And I know, and I knew with Daryl, and I knew that if I could channel him and get him to do the things that I wanted him to accomplish in a tape and i could get it to lauren and marcy mm-hmm. i could get him the opportunity to get on and i knew if i got him the test i could prepare him because i'm great at preparing artists yeah. for things that's one of my strengths as well as being able to see who's going to do what and yeah. going And how
0: did you know what how did you know what lauren and them would have wanted from him i mean you knew that he was a good uh he's a good impressionist right and how did you know which ones he should be doing and what I mean, were you just studying what they were missing on SNL? Yeah,
1: you study what's happening. What I looked at, where I thought I was going to fail, Mm -hmm. and I'll tell you something, once I got started with Daryl, a lot of the impressions that he did were impressions that had been done in the past. Okay. And I thought, you know, I didn't doubt myself, but I thought, you know, my chances are lower with his talent than mine getting him to show. Mm -hmm. But something happened 48 hours before his test and I watched him we used to practice it over and over again in the office it was Mm -hmm. like a military operation hours and hours and hours same with Tracy Morgan hours and hours and hours Mm -hmm. working on it and he finished one day and he's walking out and I say Daryl can I ask you something he said yeah what's up I said is there any impression that you're not doing, that you just don't do in your stand-up because you don't have material for it, but Mm -hmm. you have a great impression of it? Yeah. And he said, there's one. I said, what's that? He said, Ted Koppel from Nightline. (laughs) And I said, could you come back here for a second? And we sat down, and I said, I have an idea. And it just came to me just right Uh now. Why don't we uh, do a test where you are Ted Koppel on Nightline and you're introducing stories on Nightline that weave in and out these characters and these impressions you're doing. Ooh, very smart. And he said, that's a great idea. I said, work on it tonight. Let's come back tomorrow, work on it. We worked on it all the next day. And then he worked on it alone, too. Mm -hmm. And then he tested. He tested again. And he got SNL, and the cold open of the first episode of the first season that he was on was Ted Koppel from Nightline. (laughs) And that's That's what's amazing about it. So you just
0: have, like, an instinct for knowing
1: what people need or what they... Yeah, like Dave Chappelle, for instance, a club owner, uh, the club manager, Jason Steinberg, who's a manager now, Mm -hmm. told me about Dave. He'd come in from D.C. for an open mic night. Mm Mm-hmm. And he said, I want you to come back Tuesday, Barry. Look at this kid. He's 18. There's something about him. I come to see him. Before the show, I see him walking towards me. I didn't know what he looked like, but I could just tell this was the kid. Probably him, yeah. And I shake his hand in the middle of the club. There's nobody on stage. It's just before people are walking in. And I say, nice to meet you. I just want you to know I want to represent you. I before think you're going to be <laughs> one of the biggest stars in comedy and film, and you're going to change the face of comedy, and I know that with my talent and yours, I can help you get there.
0: How do you know just based on him walking towards you?
1: Just a feeling I have.
0: Yeah. Is and that how you do? Do you always find people like that, just off of feelings? Still, nowadays, because they say nowadays, it's like people don't just get discovered like that, you know? Nowadays, people have to build up a body of work before anyone... No, you know,
1: I love watching tape with the sound off. Mm-hmm. I love doing things like that. It's hard because I don't, you know, I don't want to represent a lot of people, mm-hmm. and but I want to do the right thing and I want to do the right thing for the people that I work with and, and, and create the right opportunities. But with Dave, he looked at me and he said, you don't even know me. You've never even seen me perform. You've never seen a video. What are yeah. you saying? I said, I know it. I can feel it. And I said exactly what I said to you a few moments ago. I said, "Listen, Dave, it's like the Dead Zone movie. Mm-hmm. I can feel it, and I know you're gonna make it. And I, I'm telling you." Mm-hmm. And to this day, when I see him, he still brings stuff up to really, me like that. Really? That's and cool. And it's a, w- a wonderful. Well, that's gotta thing. be
0: a great feeling to be 18 and have someone just say, you know.
1: Look, when I sat down with you, I shared some really strong opinions about you. And you a mean a
0: long time ago or yeah, today? Yeah, long time oh, ago. Yeah, yeah
1: about what you're doing, but I did share with you Mm -hmm. that I thought that you had something really, really special and that you could do some great things. Yeah. Uh, And and you are. Now, what's interesting, you're doing great things in an area that was not your goal to necessarily do great things. You're most well-known for a show that you would never think when I met you that, okay, that's the show that's going to get me the most people watching me.
0: Yeah. I wouldn't i didn't d- did didn't definitely didn't want it to be that, yeah, but I knew you know if I did it right then then it was it was gonna help yeah, and the and hard if I did it smart
1: and the hardest part about being a stand up comedian is when you do get the exposure is to figure out a way to be as I like to say undeniable <laughs> I love and that's very, very hard because yeah. um permission to speak freely go for it, okay, so. If I were to ask you what level your stand-up comedy is today compared to who you consider to be the greatest stand-up comedian in the country. So let's just pretend whoever, th- who is that person? Who to me? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right now, the greatest stand-up. Bill Burr. Up. Bill Burr. So Bill Burr is at the top of your pyramid. Mm -hmm. let's give letter grades if shall we okay he's a hundred he's an a plus yeah Uh, we're not going to go through all the comedians that you think are a a minus b plus b b minus c all the way to f yeah definitely don't want them to listen to this that's not fair (laughs) yeah but let's just take bill as a plus okay we give him that grade now if i were to put you in a soundproof booth and only you could say the letter grade that you were, that you give yourself as right a stand-up comedian right at this moment, what would you give yourself if Bill Burr is an A-plus?
3: Mm.
0: Somewhere in the C level?
1: Great. So you just said to yourself right now, I'm a C right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you're in college, and you get an a, c- a C on a paper, mm-hmm. are you happy? No.
0: No, I got straight A's. If <laughs> you go to a...
1: R- you got a straight A's, that's mm-hmm. right. You're an A. I said something earlier, and you thought I was joking, and I knew I was going to bring it back. What? When you got out of the shower, and you look in the mirror, no matter how what you think, or any woman thinks about their body image, yeah. when you walk out, and you're going out to a place... You don't walk out thinking you're a C. You walk out thinking you're an A and that you can compete. Even if there's a girl, even if there's a girl in the club that is like, you're like, holy shit, look at that girl. You know that you can compete with any woman.
0: Yeah, but I think it's a a lot more based on uh, personality.
1: Okay. Yeah. But you know you're an A as a person. Yeah. But this is is good. This is good (laughs) because this is what most people think. Yeah. So... This is the issue. You go to a restaurant, mm-hmm. again, going the restaurant thing, if there's a C on the window, you're yeah. not going in. Yeah. So the toughest part for comedians a lot of times in this world, mm-hmm. what happens, things go great in certain areas, and they get a lot of eyeballs on them. Yeah. And then those eyeballs go to see that person. Yeah. And let's pretend that you're not a C. Let's pretend that you're a B minus. Yeah. Let's even pretend that you're a B.
2: Okay. Maybe I am. I don't
1: want, I if I'm a comic, I don't want anybody seeing me when I'm a B. Yeah.
2: That's I a want point.
1: you seeing me when I'm an A, A plus. I don't mm-hmm. want, if I'm, God forbid, if I ever were on a date Yeah. and a woman were to see me, I want to do my best to try to figure out a way to put this human form together where it's as close to an a as possible impossible yeah. but <laughs> you know i can dream can't i <laughs> um and when i'm on a podcast like this yeah i don't want to be a c yeah i want to finish this podcast with you and i want you to say afterwards like barry that was something that i've never done before on the show that's yeah. something that's really unique and special And I think the audience will really be happy about it. Yeah. And so the problem with comedians, comedians are learning in front of audiences. Yeah. If you're an engineer, you're not learning in front of an audience. You can figure out how to be great great. before you get that thing. Yeah. Architect, the same thing. You can fuck up and do whatever. Nobody sees Mm -hmm. it until you get there. In comedy, you're, you're going to college in front of people. Yeah. And so the problem is, is that when you get eyeballs on you, like you're getting on you, and then they go to see you, let's just pretend that one night you are a C. Mm-hmm. Are
0: I've been they lucky to have really good sets when I've had people go to see me. I well, don't then know. that's good. Yeah.
1: But luck isn't something that I want to bet well on.
0: Well, no, I'm not saying that, but not luck. Um.
1: And so I, what I'm saying for you, and the hardest part for you, uh-huh. in every comic that's, that's doing that thing where they're moving the needle... Mm-hmm. and you are fucking moving the needle mm-hmm. and and anybody who says you're not is 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 delusional mm-hmm. but in your stand up that's the thing you have to figure out when they come to see you that the comedy is do in a way that's best extraordinary stuff. and and the I thing that i would say about you and i'm uh, going to interrupt you one more okay. second please i hope your audience doesn't get mad at me <laughs> If you're a comic out there, I would strongly suggest this, and I never had this when I was starting. Uh And a guy named Royce Clayton said this to me on my podcast, who's a a former baseball player and won a World Series with the Boston Red Sox. Yeah. Big poppy dedicated the World Series to him. Mm -hmm. He said this thing that I'm sure maybe some people have heard in other ways. He said, uh, study greatness Imitate greatness. Become great. Become great. Yep. And so, if you're a young comic out there, even if you don't want to, go to YouTube and type in Dave Chappelle early. Mm-hmm. Watch 1997 Letterman, his mm-hmm. first Letterman, where he's wearing the executive producer's jacket and yeah. a shirt from wardrobe because he showed up in a sweatshirt and he didn't know that he had to dress up. Yeah. Watch the set and see how it goes. Watch Bill Burr's first Letterman. Watch David Tell's first Letterman. And I say Letterman, you guys are probably thinking, why does he keep saying Letterman? Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Because Letterman was the gold standard for comedians Mm -hmm. at the golden age of comedy and and beyond. He was, besides Carson back and then, and you can watch old Tonight shows too, but Letterman was that new, a little bit edgy thing. Watch Norton's first Letterman. Okay. And so when you watch these shows, look at how the jokes are constructed. Look at the time when the joke starts and the time when the punchline hits. Mm -hmm. Then the joke starts and the punchline hits. And the thing about comedy that's amazing is that it has to be like a horror movie. Mm -hmm. The great horror movies like Saw at the end of the movie, you're like, holy shit. Yeah. I can't believe that was there the whole time. And I didn't realize it for 90 minutes. Yeah. And for stand-up, when you're doing a joke, it's like you have to be ahead of your audience. If they know where you're going, you're not an A. Mm -hmm. And so when you watch all these young people, you can see what they're doing. And when they hit that punchline or that place there, it's like, holy shit. What I you actually
0: believe I have a lot of jokes like that.
1: Then that's good.
0: I, I think the thi- the thing I have going for me is especially in terms of being a female comic, I do think I have a lot different material than a lot of female comics. And I think uh I mean I do study it a lot and I, I emulate male comics more than I do female comics. I don't have like a bunch of like, you know, blowjob jokes and stuff like that. I like about
1: uh, your comedy uh-huh. is that you haven't
0: seen anything new.
1: Well, I saw what I saw. Yeah. I saw I what, I what, what I saw online. and w- we, we had an argument here <laughs> before the show where I she said, well, those are old jokes. I said, well, why are they online? Get them <laughs> offline. Hire a lawyer. Do something. Yeah, I got
0: to get it off. But the point that is. That is, is not even how my comedy sounds mm-hmm. now.
1: But the point is, in those comedy jokes, you uh-huh. weren't doing those things. You were tr- doing original concepts and mm-hmm. things that were happening. One of the hardest parts about being a, a woman doing comedy, and, and this is really unfair, mm-hmm. I want to share this, too, with your audience. It's it's very frustrating for a woman, but I'll give you an example. So, every guy you see on stage doing comedy, mm-hmm. they're wearing pants, they're wearing a shirt. Yeah. The only skin you see on the comedian is from their neck to their head. Yeah.
2: I mean, that's a how I dress, a too. A male comedian. Yeah.
1: A lot of women, when they do comedy, they'll sometimes they'll wear a dress. Sometimes they'll wear something that's. Uh, I haven't sometimes worn a dress in two
0: years. I realized how dumb that was. Yeah, yeah.
1: And you can think to yourself: think of it. it the the, na- the the nature of the human being, male or female, is mm-hmm. to look towards where skin is. It doesn't yeah. matter if there's a, a headshot of a guy, and he has no skin showing, but his yeah. hand is showing on no, his hip. Oh, so true. You I think it's it so
0: distracting when, when girls wear stuff on yeah, the stage. Yeah, so
1: it, it distracts you, but which is horrible, because it shouldn't be that way.
0: Well, it is what it is, though. I mean, I'm not a guy, and I still stare at girls when they d- have too much skin showing. And it's not that's funny.
1: And that's the thing. Is like, it's like, even if somebody is extraordinarily funny, a woman is going to look at the girl and say, hmm, I like that dress. Eh, I'm not sure about that dress. Why mm-hmm. did she wear that? That makes her look that yeah. way. And five minutes in, you haven't listened to one joke they're saying. Yeah. And it's the same with men, although they're thinking other things. Yeah. Like how they could pay for the next meal.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with you. I I don't feel comfortable on stage in anything other than just, like, jeans. and I wear band t-shirts a lot on stage. I don't know why. Just, like...
1: F- mm, but men's
0: ma- band t-shirts
1: but for you and for every comedian mm-hmm. if you are doing it which i i know you are and you will yeah. and but if you are doing it the world will speak yeah and you will if you are a great and extraordinary stand-up comic and you really believe you are and mm-hmm. you've studied and you've imitated and you've perfected the greatness mm-hmm. then you're going to get Uh, People are going to chase you like your ass is on fire. I always Mm -hmm. say this, you know. If you're a great singer, you're getting standing ovations in Peoria, Illinois, or in Jacksonville, Florida. Well, good luck to you because there's like thousands of great singers. Yeah. I mean, there's a 12-year-old girl, Grace VanderWaal, who won America's Got Talent with a ukulele. Yeah. I used to say ukulele, but my my sons told me it's ukulele. So I. But anyway, so she. But the fact is is that, but if you're a comic you, you it's if you're doing comedy like Bill Burr and you're working in Bangkok, Thailand mm-hmm. and a video comes out the industry will find you and you will have everything you want in your life. Yeah. That's the way the world works. If you're doing original tremendous stand up mm-hmm. that fucks people up and people leave the room saying holy shit Mm -hmm. then you're going to have everything you want so no matter how much any comic out there says hey I'm great I'm doing the right thing yeah every time they talk now you're talking like that because I asked you so you're not guilty yeah I I asked you so I'm not putting you in that category but when you're out of comedy clubs and you say how did I go to the I killed I'm killing out there I know you don't I'm just (laughs) saying people who talk about how great they are and whatever yeah. I, you know, I remember i used to call my mom and say mom i love you and she'd pause and she'd say show me don't tell me <laughs> That's and good. the fact yeah. is is that comedians will know you'll know because you'll be doing these television shows and i know sometimes comedians they'll see a young comic, let's say, do a late-night show, and they're not ready. Yeah. And they get the show, and they're watching, and they know that the show is put on, like, six comics a year or 12 a year. Yeah. And they see one comic who is not doing well, and they're not ready, and you're like, why did that person get on? Mm -hmm. There's always going to be situations where people pass you temporarily Mm -hmm. when they're not ready. But with hard work and greatness like you're putting in, You'll eventually get everything you want.
0: I think so. <laughs> you uh, you got you got to see newer stuff. You can't base it on th- videos from three years ago. You can
1: show me anything you want. No,
0: I don't. I don't have anything on me right now. All
1: right, here's <laughs> another thing. I'm just gonna go toe to toe with you right here, and what? you can edit anything out you want. This is another thing that is a pet peeve of mine. What? You run into a comedian and you see them at the comedy store or the improv or the laugh yeah. factory. they do a nice set, you know, and you. They come up to you afterwards and say, hi, Barry, how you doing? I say, good to see you, nice job. Uh, and I say, y- you should send me something. Uh, I don't have anything right now. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, when's the last time you had something? Oh, it's too well old. I'm not well, how old is it? <laughs> two two years ago? Oh, really? Um, this is your fucking job. But okay, but Barry, I'm, I'm not
0: asking you for any favors. I just want to do my p- podcast.
1: I'm <laughs> not I'm not favors. <laughs> I like watching great comedy. No, I know,
0: I know. But I'm saying I don't have a video prepared for you because I just wanted you on my podcast.
1: But I love <laughs> that. But I just love seeing. C- yeah, I just love that, seeing. Yeah. I love seeing the trajectory of how things yeah. are happening, and I love the fact that you know what you're doing is. I, I could. Uh, this is probably the fifth time I've said it. Yeah. You, I don't think you, maybe you don't understand how what you're doing. You're doing. I mean, look around. Look on the pod. Look on the top podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Look around. Look at what you're. You're you're in there with Corolla, Marin, Burr, Kevin Smith the mm-hmm. these are these are fucking these are guys who put in thirty years mm-hmm. and you're in that group and people are coming to these podcasts because of what you're bringing to the table yeah. and your relationships and, and all the things you're doing and how you carry on an interview and how you put so much into it mm-hmm. and you have heart into it and how you're funny and great stories. I listened to the sock puppet <laughs> one before <laughs> I came here, <laughs> and that was an amazing story that weaved together, and it must have been, like, 40 minutes long. And it when it started, and I was actually said to my office, like, yeah. I said what is she doing here is this is this (laughs) i mean i don't i don't know if this is going to go anywhere and then like a minute later i said i looked up and i said i'm wrong (laughs) this is fantastic
0: i'm actually writing a whole joke about it based on something i studied about david spade is that his special a couple years ago he's got a joke about breaking his neck in uh i think high school doing a, a flip and i liked the way he told the story of an injury so I've been spending all this time, like, re-watching that video over and over again. Not to copy anything he's doing, but just the way he tells the story of getting an injury. And I'm trying to craft, like, a whole Study on it. Study greatness. Yeah.
1: Imitate greatness. Become yeah. great.
0: Yeah, I've been, like, really obsessed with David Spade lately because I'm in, uh... He
1: would like that.
0: Yeah, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm doing the whole uh, Second City Conservatory track. And I think, you know, uh, with, with, uh improv, I think it's weird sometimes when, when stand ups start as a stand up and then they start doing sketch because they really are different. If you're used to just kind of telling jokes and being like your personality, I- it's hard to then just like all of a sudden just be real charactery. So I uh I haven't struggled with it but I, I'm trying to I want to be not just me in that in that scenario. And then uh uh but my teacher kept being like, No, it's working, you're really funny. And then I was like, you know what though? David Spade, like, made a, an entire career on SNL and movies and stuff being his snarky sort of personality. You know, he wasn't, like, the biggest person in the room, but he was good. It was being the straight man off of, you know, Chris Farley or people that were doing big stuff. And it, w- it was so funny in that way. And so I've been studying like, everything he does because it, it, I feel like it fits into sort of my personality a little bit and how. What would
1: you say, I have. I, I i was just thinking about this, you know, because you talked about Spade's Lane. That was Spade's Lane. Yeah. You know, uh, Jim Gaffigan is the, (laughs) you know. Food guy. Fascinating Midwestern kind of guy. Yeah. Um, You know, Dane Cook was that comedian for, like, the the Y generation. Yeah. Um, Chris Rock and, you know, does that sort of. Preaching
0: uh, sounding thing.
1: But he has that lane of what he's doing. What would you say your lane is?
0: I think my lane uh, is uh, a female comic that sort of has. I, I have, I have a th- I, I think so at least, and and maybe I don't. B- a kind of a, g- a guyish personality, like uh, Jim Jeffries was telling me the other day. You like I'm like Mae West or something. Where I don't, I don't really fully know who Mae West is. Mae West gravelly. was
1: amazing in the sense yeah. that she and we talked about you. Dating the guy who was uh, disabled. Yeah. uh, Mae West was the kind of, the only woman in Hollywood that you ever heard of. That She was 80 and she was going out with like (laughs) 25-year-old guys.
0: Well, maybe not that part of it because he actually said not that part. It was more like about, I don't know, just sort of like a a snarky male sense of humor, but not in like a, you know, bathroom humor type of way. More like in the same way, like my brain thinks in, in the way of... Like, I, you know, my brain doesn't think in a girly way, if that makes sense. So, it thinks in a way of, like, when I listen to Bill Burr's podcast, I'm like, yeah, I feel like that's how I, yeah. I like, that's how my brain works. Uh, So, I guess my lane is, um, I don't know, a girl comic that's a tomboy, but not in this, not in the same way that, you know, you think of a, because it's usually, like, you know, girl comedy is a lot of times, like, you know, like, sex jokes or, like, being so proud of being slutty or being, like, telling, like stories of being awkward in dating situations and stuff uh, I don't know mine is almost none of that
1: yeah which is interesting which makes you like uh, somebody who's like almost clear in terms of of uh, the lines are, are not blurred like that I mean the lines are blurred excuse mm-hmm. me because that's something that I noticed about you right away is that you were just doing something like it didn't matter if you were a guy or a girl. You were just doing material that you thought was funny about subject matters that you thought was funny. Yeah. And that's really cool. And sometimes you'll run into comedians, and, and it's a hard thing. Uh, I saw a comedian um, that I loved from Montreal, uh, 21-year-old kid uh, mm-hmm. named... Um, I'm not gonna say his name right now. All right, you can tell h- me later. I'll let him. <laughs> I'll, I'll let him get where he wants to go with. Okay. But he's kind of interesting. Brilliant comedy. Brilliant yeah. comedy talking about issues that are incredible, like uh, and relevant for today, like transgender issues and things like that. Yeah. But he's a kind of a guy. He he. Everybody has their winning formula, just like you. And mm-hmm. he has this thing where he wears these big glasses and he kind of dresses yeah. kind of like like he's not. Necessarily cool, and yeah, and I said to him, you know, that's going great now, but you know, so, you know, you turn twenty-two, and before you know it, you're twenty-five. Before you know it, you're twenty-six, and you're gonna be the guy who's up there saying, hey, you know, I'm not the cool guy. Yeah, you have well great, you, you talk have about great, your life you too. great, material. mm mm-hmm. great material, and write about that material that you have and write about that lane and if you are doing an issue if you are young that's let's say on something that maybe the audience is looking at you saying well how would that guy know about that yeah you're a kid yeah then just say something to the effect of like hey you know uh there's a kid in my school who's transgender and I feel like I've known a lot about that and then go into it and then you tie yourself to it Mm -hmm. but you your your stuff is very very down the lane and I, I love the fact that you don't worry about those things i often think when i see you do comedy and i Mm -hmm. have seen very old video of you too yeah and i often wonder sometimes like what you're like as a person because you know in your comedy what fascinates me about you is that it appears it appears Mm -hmm. that you you care very much and you're very passionately passionate about your stand-up but it almost appears like you're not attached to worrying about anything except doing what you feel your instincts tell you to go Uh and and I don't
0: know necessarily what you mean by that
1: I'll tell you um, (laughs) doubt is a career killer yeah Doubt and success don't go together mm-hmm. and I can guarantee you out of everyone you know in this business You know that there's a multitude of people who have self-doubt. Yeah, and you might not even be able to sniff it on them hmm but you I know you can and I know I can. Uh-huh And so if you have doubt yeah, you are in trouble and so what's interesting about you, you know, uh, is that you're, you're. I don't mean to embarrass you, you're a beautiful woman, you're very true. charismatic, you have a great way about you, but you're also, like, have a way about you, like, don't fuck with me. <laughs> don't fuck with me, I'm on medication.
2: I'm not on medication. I'm just kidding. Uh, so I'm very like clean, I don't do drugs so at all.
1: So it's like you have this thing, like, <laughs> Don't fuck with me? <laughs> you know, it's like... It's like that dual thing you have going with you. But as a woman, I, mean to come I that think, way. I think, <laughs> no, you don't, it's just, <laughs> you're not coming across that way. I'm just telling okay. you my instincts. Am I wrong?
0: No, not really. Okay. Well, I just don't.
1: Please <laughs> tell me when I'm wrong. So it's <laughs> like, but as in your personal life as a woman, yeah. the world can, men are so, they can just twist women into a balloon animal without even you could be the strongest woman in the world and there's a guy that can just get in Mm -hmm. and somehow just fuck things up yeah and it can take down a lot of the confidence and the Mm -hmm. feeling of a woman in terms of not just her personal life yeah but her career it's like because if that thing happens there it's like you're just sitting around like how the fuck did I let that guy in and get that and why did he God he said that thing that affected me and yeah. and and that's the toughest part I think when you're a young beautiful woman in this business because I want to share this with you I hope I'm not rambling too much. I'm no sure not
2: anymore. at all
0: you're talking about me so this is fantastic. Okay. <laughs> I'm just joking
1: if 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 <laughs> If a guy goes to 10 places Mm -hmm. and runs into a woman like you, let's say he's at the drugstore, there's a woman like you at the counter. He Mm -hmm. goes to a restaurant, the hostess is somebody like you. He goes to the library, there's somebody like you. uh, Nine out of 10 times, Mm -hmm. that guy is going to turn around and walk away and say these words in his mind I wonder what that would be like Mm -hmm. okay you go to 10 places Mm -hmm. and you see a guy who's you know good looking guy and Mm -hmm. and whatever at those places you turn around and walk away you don't say I wonder what that would be like nine out of ten times Mm -mm. you might say very conservative you might say one out of ten two out of ten i wonder what that would be like that might be fun Mm -hmm. okay so everywhere you go Mm -hmm. everywhere you go every comedy club you go every person you interview every time you're out on the street every time you're in an event yeah every man you meet there is a chance that nine out of ten of them are turning around and not acknowledging you for what you're doing. That's great. Yeah. They're just thinking. I wonder what would that would be like. And as a woman, mm-hmm. the navigation to be that way and to be able to be go toe to toe with that person. Uh, yeah. How many mm-hmm. times do you ever uh, you, you go somebody texts you and they're in the business, let's say. Yeah. And they say, "Hey, let's. Uh, you're at the comedy store today." uh... Let's just go to Norms or what's that place on Sunset, whatever it is. Greenblatt's. The, the Mel's oh. Diner. Or oh, whatever. Mel's Diner, yeah. Let's just go to Mel's Diner. I'm in between. What do you say? We get a cup of coffee there. No mm-hmm. problem. Yeah. No. And you're you're sitting down across from this person, and five minutes in, in your mind as a woman, you're like, does this guy think this is a date? Is this does this guy think that yeah. me sitting down here is gonna? I mean, I'm just here yeah. because whatever. And that's the navigation that men don't have to go through. Yeah. And I'm pretty
0: unfazed by it, though. I have a... I've always be- had the ta- talent for... Not a talent, but like... Because I, I, I never... Because, you know, uh, any guy is going to want to think that maybe they could date a girl or hook up with a girl. I hate when girls are like, you know, they, they explicitly say, like, I'm never going to date. Like, they s- like come out and say it before a guy's even really hit on them. I just think it's rude. And it's also presumptuous. And also, you can have value in friendships with, with people. And so... I've always, I've never really been all that weirded out by, like that scenario. Was thinking like, is this a date? I'm like, well, maybe he originally thought it was or something. But I'm usually able to spin it into like, uh, usually a very like valuable and meaningful friendship because I think that uh, I don't know. I like, I feel like eventually people mm-hmm. realize that like there's more than just that. I. I don't know. I'm, I'm usually unfazed by it. And I have a lot of, a lot of male friends and a lot of male friends in the comedy world and in the industry. And I don't know why, but I, they don't like, I have, you know, I have a girlfriend in, in comedy and she's, she's gorgeous. And, uh, she's, she's, she's got a lot of sex appeal and she gets hit on all the time. I don't really get hit on that much. I mean, I'm sure, like a little bit, but I, I sort of seem to deflect it where it doesn't, it doesn't really affect me too much.
2: Well makes
1: sense well that's good because yeah. most of the times that's an undue pressure yeah. that a lot of people have to deal with unlike guys who don't have to deal with that which makes yeah. it very very hard for women to navigate yeah. and get where they want to go i'll never yeah. forget something that uh i remember whitney cummings did and i've s- uh, it's just it's it's an amazing thing she did and you talk about a hard worker. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think there's yeah. anybody harder working than she is. And yeah. she's killed herself throughout her. I always say she's the only person I know in comedy that I could visualize having her cell phone in a Ziploc bag <laughs> in the bathtub <laughs> and in the shower and still doing what she's doing. But That's I'll never forget to. we had a meeting at NBC. Um, and we're sitting there pitched the show Whitney Mm -hmm. it wasn't called Whitney then and Jeff Engold who was then the guy at NBC who was making decisions on sitcoms Mm -hmm. um, was running late and I see him walking and he passes by the couch as much most executives do and they say hey listen just give me a few minutes to get myself settled yeah and he was a tall like six foot four blonde guy good looking and I'll never forget she stood up she walked right over to him and like a person in canada will talk to you where their face is like (laughs) really (laughs) close Really, and she got really close to him she shook his hand and her face was like maybe six inches from his face looking him right in the eyes (laughs) and this is what she did she said my god these are the first words she said my god look at you You look like a member of Hitler's master race. (laughs) That's great. And so she took out the doubt. Mm -hmm. She took the risk. She had the balls. She acknowledged the fact that she could use that tension. And he was really wonderful. You could tell right then and there that she was going to sell the show because she had the balls to navigate. Mm-hmm. When people don't normally have the balls yeah. to do that. And I could tell that he really liked the fact that somebody went toe to toe and didn't fear what was happening. Wasn't walking on eggshells. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I think people can thing. smell that a mile away. And I think I remember this thing that that happened to me. Um, I was over Peter Engel's house uh-huh. who created Save by the Bell and created Last Comic Standing with Jay Moore and I worked on for so long. And I'm in his house at a party and on his counter there's a metal uh paperweight with an inscription on it. Uh-huh. And I picked it up and it's a metaphor for what we're talking about. hmm It said, Imagine what you could accomplish if you knew you would never fail.
2: Oh yeah, I love that. I've heard that and
1: before and it's the whole thing it's like if you take the doubt out of what you're doing mm-hmm. in anything doesn't matter if you're a comedian or an actress you're going you know up for a job at a law firm you're working in a cubicle at uh, some call center you always have to figure out how to get to the next level and pass the people that mm-hmm. are there and this is the thing about you and again I'll beat it to the ground <laughs> in this podcast now granted Right now, I'm, I'm talking about the podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm not as familiar with the rest of your life in acting mm-hmm. and acting and in stand-up and what's happening. But in podcasting, okay, mm-hmm. when I started my podcast, I started on a fluke. It was a fluke that happened, and this yeah. is a roundabout way to get to the story. Yeah jay moore started a podcast and he said i want you to be my first guest i said jay i'm kind of how
2: i had guessed it had happened. i'm
1: not you know i'm not a guest i don't do this he said be in my garage at seven yeah i did it and that podcast that day was the number one podcast in the world oh wow and i was the recipient of like four to five hundred thousand people wow uh that week or whatever it was and then he found out the numbers, and he said, "I want you back for the third episode." I said, "Jay, I'm not doing. You got to have be in my garage at seven. <laughs> and I did all these episodes, and before I knew it, I had millions of people that had listened to what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing, what I said before. There's givers and there's takers. Mm-hmm. I'm a manager. Yeah, I'm a tele. Uh, I'm a manager. I've been managing comedians for my whole life. I'm a television and film producer. I've done yeah. over three, four hundred hours of te- television. I've done thirty-five hour specials. I've done documentaries on Houdini, and I've done documentaries on JFK and yeah. Heidi Fleiss. I've done a lot of shit. I'm not a guy who does interviews. Mm-hmm. But he said Barry. I know. Th- the feedback is incredible mm-hmm. you have to do this you have to do your own thing i said jay i'm your i'm your manager i've been working with you for 20 years i i don't think this mm-hmm. is a good thing to do he said barry you should do this yeah and i asked a lot of lawyers and a lot of agents and a lot of managers in the business if i should do a podcast mm-hmm. and they all said don't do it oh because it because w- it would cross e- the line don't or? ever do it because if you do it Your clients will think you're spending time doing it and not working on their career. What happens if you have a podcast that goes, uh, uh, does better in the ratings than theirs? Uh, what happens if you fail? If you fail, it'll be embarrassment. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think about failing. Yeah. And I knew I was going to do them at lunchtime. As a matter of fact, we're doing this at lunchtime. Yeah. And I knew I was going to edit on Sundays and kill myself on Sundays and do it then. And I did it. So I started it. And, um, and, it was fascinating because my first episode I asked I, I always wanted because you're in these meetings with presidents of networks uh-huh. and you get in your car afterwards and you're like I can't fucking believe I was the only person in that meeting to hear what this guy had to say yeah and so my whole intention of starting the podcast cool. was to take these executives and these presidents mm-hmm. who had never done podcasts before and then mixed them in with the stand-up world that I normally do as well. Of people yeah. who would executive produce. And Doug Herzog, who's the president of Viacom, did my first one. Uh-huh. And I get the call from Jay. Again, uh-huh. a giver. He encouraged he me to do cool. it. And he encouraged me to do it when other people wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And he has me come over to the radio station, which I don't want to do with that day. Yeah. And he opens up his computers with the ratings. And he shows me look man you're number three
0: that's crazy I said
1: how's that possible nobody knows me he said you're number three I said uh, there's something wrong here he said no Barry you'll you'll drop yes yeah. you'll drop but that's 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 a good sign Barry. yeah and I said thank you Jay I, I'm really grateful to you I, I, I can't believe it and he did this thing <laughs> he squared me up uh huh with his arms on both of my shoulders, you know, people looking the other way and he said, Cats, I'm proud of you, I love you. I said, I love you too, Jay and I hug him and I leave and then I'm walking down the hallway and I hear cats and I turn around and he looks at me and he says, You're not supposed to do better than your fucking clients (laughs) That's (laughs) funny. But that's but for you, tying it all in in the podcast world
3: Mm-hmm.
1: like I didn't know like I wanted to make an impact on yeah th- the only reason I do it I don't make m- I'm, I'm, I'm I don't make any money off the podcast yeah. right now I do it because I I see these things that happen with me and I if I manage somebody and let's say they get Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. uh, it's a wonderful it's so gratifying it's so amazing but I really have only helped one person Mm-hmm. and on the podcast i get to help you know a lot of, oh a yeah. lot of people your and podcast is super and, and that's what i want and with yeah. you what i'm trying to point out and and i hope you take the love <laughs> is that i'm going to say it in a way that's going to sound insulting you don't deserve to be In the top 20 of 375,000 podcasts based on your time in the business, Uh how many hours you've had in the business, how many hours you've logged in the comedy business, yet you are. You know why you are? Because you figured out a formula that you knew would work. Mm -hmm. You figured out a way to do it. You figured out a way to prove to those people that it's not always about time. Mm-hmm. On a baseball team, Corey Seager on the Dodgers is amazing. Yeah. He's an MVP candidate. He's better than 23 other players on the team. He's mm-hmm. 22 years old. Oh, jeez. Yet Big Poppy is 40. Yeah. And he's just as good as Corey Seager, if not better. Yeah. He's 40. Yeah. So what you came to play and you don't listen to anybody you don't care what anybody thinks and if you do you don't share it and nobody knows (laughs) and so you go and you just say i'm starting this thing and i'm making it happen and i'm gonna get there and nothing's gonna stop me Mm -hmm. and and the world will decide whether i belong there or not not some fucking comics in the back of a comedy club yeah The world decides whether I'm in the top 20 and I belong. And the world said I belong. 375,000 podcasts.
0: How many
2: there are?
1: Yes. Wow. And so that's deal and when i do my podcast and i Mm -hmm. see myself up there and last week like i looked a couple times and i see you and i yeah we were like right next to each other a lot and now she's passed me like a rocket (laughs) ship um (laughs) but you know because every every week every week it changes so much yeah yeah yeah. it's like one week you're like god damn i made it the next week you're like what the (laughs) fuck happened my (laughs) career's over (laughs) but the, the, the fact is is that You're doing it there, and so what I want to share with you that's so important, if Mm -hmm. you, if I can, you can take this from me (laughs) through osmosis as I grab her ankle (laughs) and have to go to human resources. Not at all, yeah. (laughs) Is that if you can figure out Mm -hmm. the formula and the blueprint, and this is for your audience too. Mm -hmm. Look at what you do in your life that's an A. Okay. Look at what you do in your life. That blows people the fuck away. That people are like, "Holy shit! What she's wh- she's where on the rank? What the? F- how did she get?" Mm-hmm. Anything you do, figure out the thing you do. Maybe you're great in math, mm-hmm. and you're you know you're always getting A's in math. Figure out what your formula is for that. Or maybe you're you're great at uh, managing uh, a comedy club, yeah. and that's great, but you suck at doing other. If you want to figure out how to be great at the other thing, apply the blueprint and the formula. So, for you, let's just take acting. Okay. Okay? If you want to be a great actress, figure out what the formula is that you got here and you doing here, and figure out what that formula you have to do to apply to the principles of acting. Second city.
0: That's what's changed it. Yeah.
1: So, whatever. Going
0: every single week for a year and a half and performing all the time. uh, Yeah.
1: There you go. And so, that's that's that. In every facet, stand up. Mm-hmm. How do I get to be where I am in the podcast and stand up? Study. How do I get to be number eighteen or sixteen or twenty out of three hundred seventy five thousand comedians? Mm-hmm. How do I do it? Study and, and so, comedians. the thing about you is that what I love sitting across from you <laughs> is that you know what it takes to win. Mm-hmm. Most comedians that you work with out there, they've never won. Mm-hmm. In the podcast world right now, uh-huh. you're winning. And you figure out a way That's to fun. win. Yeah. And you have that formula and you will always know. And if you apply it to everything else, mm-hmm. you're going to blow a lot of people away. Hope so. I know so. <laughs>
0: Thank you. <laughs> hope so. Hopefully they edit me well this season on Vanderpump, because I had a great set. I'm going to be heartbroken if they try to... Because it's, it's up to them. It's not like it's my stand-up special. But I had a great set at the Improv. They filmed it. Uh, Heather McDonald was the headliner. I went up right before her. It's probably one of the best sets of my life, and I was nervous for it because they were filming it. I hope that that airs properly, and I hope that they don't chop it up and just try to... You know, because it's a reality show. They can try to
1: well embarrass you. What can you do... This is an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. First of all, I'll say something else. Mm. Nerves and success, they go together as well as doubt. Yeah. But some no, people have I was
0: nervous because I, knowing that I could have the best set of my life, which, I mean, was not I wouldn't say it was the best set of my life. It was one of my best sets, knowing that it was in the hands. It's not me doing my st- a stand-up special. It wasn't me doing 30 minutes of... It was so me.
1: So this is the thing. Let yeah. me ask you this. If I told you,
3: Mm -hmm.
1: let's say you get a call, ready? You get get a call on the phone (laughs) yourself when you pick up. Hello. (laughs) Yes, I've got your whole family. (laughs) Jesus. They're being held hostage. Yes. You will never see them again unless (laughs) by November 1st you send me proof that your set is going to air exactly the way you want it to. And you get all of your footage from that night. <laughs> Click. Guess what? What? You're going to get that done.
0: What do you mean? How do I get it done? Oh wait, if um, your
1: family was being held hostage, oh and oh they, yeah you yeah. knew they were going to die. Would you figure out how to get your set the way you wanted it to and have the producers air it that way? And would you yes, figure out but a there's a tricky way
0: to manipulate them.
1: The more sure you the, mo- the
0: more you The more you care about something, the more they want to fuck with you a little bit. Excuse my language. The more, like, the more. I can't believe
1: you swore. That's just so <laughs> offended.
0: <laughs> the more you, you have to kind of. I knew that day I had to play it like. Oh yeah, well, I, I, it is what I do all the time. But I knew I had to play it like oh that's what I do all the time. Like, this is my comedy club. This is my home. Like, you know, I knew I had to, to play it like reality that as opposed to reality.
1: Reality producers don't know how to edit comedy, and oh comedians yeah. don't know how to edit reality shows. That's
0: good point. So there's not a whole lot I could do other than. Listen, they can't. Well, they—I guess they technically could, you know—make it seem like no one was laughing in the audience. Although I d- it would, they would literally have to take, you know, different footage from something else. But I, I, f- I, I hope that I played it in a way with them where I didn't. S- let's say I seemed like I knew not to seem nervous before the show because they were filming me do that. I knew not to seem nervous afterwards. I knew how to seem like this is what I do every day. Like, great set. Okay, cool moving along I knew how to kind of play it like that not like be so excited that I had a great set or be nervous because that they would have probably latched on to like you know I think that that's I think I did it the right way but we'll see
1: so you don't think you could have any impact on like getting the now li-
0: yeah um I think uh I don't honestly I don't know
1: I think you can how how would I do that? All right, let's analyze this for a second. Okay. How many executive producers are there on the show besides the talent? Who's the executive producer?
0: Um, oh, uh, let's see. Well, the two there's two main guys that we would report to, and then there's the the guy that's like the head of evolution.
1: Yeah, but he's not. He's, he's not, not. He's not in the editing bay. Yeah. No. So. Great. Yeah, so there's two, two guys. And yeah. how's your relationship with them?
0: Uh, it's it's fine. Great. I don't talk to them that often because I'm not yeah. a main cast member. I just am there yeah. to
1: would they ever d- respond to an email like this hey uh listen um next uh week i'm in your area doing a project on t- you know next uh tuesday wednesday thursday friday and i was wondering if i could take you both to lunch one of those days
0: okay maybe
1: See, what you do is you give an availability opening where they can't say no because they're there. They yeah. You say you're there one day yeah. or not, but you say I'm doing a project right across the street from you and I would love to take you guys out to lunch and let you know how grateful I am for everything. And Just to sh- say I'm
0: grateful would be good, yeah?
1: Yep, so then the you get them out to lunch with you and you mm-hmm. have an amazing lunch. You talk about everything, whatever. And right before the end of the lunch, mm-hmm. before the check comes you say look i i wanted to ask you something i wanted to make a request to you guys um my stand-up uh just like your show is very important to you Mm -hmm. i would love to um have these particular bits uh stay in the show if you could have them stay in the show they're the Mm -hmm. ones that i think are most representative of me and i think they'll be best for the show and um If you just let them breathe the way they are, I think they'll be amazing whether you cut it down to two minutes or three minutes. That's my only request I have. And if you can do it, you can. If you can't, you can't. But I just want to let you know how grateful I am for everything you've done for me. Uh, My career has been amazing since I've been on the show, and I owe it all to you guys. And I just wanted to make that one request.
0: Yeah. It would actually be all true if I said that, you know. They've been good to me. Yeah. All right. I can do that. And so...
1: you know when I was I mean I
0: d- I didn't want to say no to you right there when you were saying it. You're very good at your job.
1: <laughs> when I was in Montreal with Kevin Hart, I interviewed Kevin for the podcast. I at the end of the podcast I said something to him that I you know, I'm really embarrassed about. I said you know, I said I looked at what you were doing and you haven't done anybody's podcast really. You did a yeah. st- you did stern. And I, I'm thinking to myself you know something that I never think to myself, which is these negative, a negative thought. Nah, he's never, am c- he's not gonna do my part. Pos- yeah. So I said I never asked you for three years, and then I saw you were up here in Montreal. And I said, you know, I'll just ask him. Yeah. And I said, you said yes in like five minutes, and you mm-hmm. spent two hours with me. He said, of course, Barry. I mean, what I mean, I said, but you don't have any time. He said, Barry. You know, we've known each other for a long time. We yeah. have a relationship. And and for you, it's like you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. So the odds of you getting your set the way you want it by sitting home or sitting and not mentioning it and telling me it. Yeah. And the odds of you getting it if you go face to face with them are better. Okay. I'm not saying they're 100%. Yeah. They might be 1%. But if I have a 1% chance of winning the lottery, you tell me that, I'm playing every yeah. fucking day. Oh, yeah. We're in a 3% business. 3% mm-hmm. of the time, at best, something succeeds and goes. Is that what it is, the real yeah. number? Oh, wow. And, and that's what it is. But 3%, uh, I'll take it. Yeah. But I think there's a better percentage of you getting what you want um, from your set by meeting with them. But, again letting them know the truth, is that, you know, the truth is, is that they're responsible for a lot of great things that have happened to you, and, mm-hmm. and it means a lot.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and, and approaching it in that way is very, you're a good businessman, Barry. Um, I mean, we should probably wrap up soon. I don't want to keep you too long. I had a couple more questions, though. Uh
1: you think your audience is still awake?
0: <laughs> yes, of course they are.
1: I love these long podcasts. Yeah, we
0: actually, it hasn't been that as that bad. Um
1: it's not like one of my podcasts which is literally like one like li- piece.
0: No, they're like what? No, they're not more. They're not like 2 hours.
1: I did Judd Apatow. It was 3 hours. Oh, it
0: was? Yeah. I want to say I listened to that whole thing. I don't remember it being 3 hours. Maybe I listened to it over the course of you like a couple of days or something. I had
1: a lot of popcorn in Runyon Canyon.
0: Uh, no, I was <laughs> I think I was a cleaning my house or I don't know. Who knows? I um. could just
1: picture you cleaning your house. <laughs> <So>
0: <laughs> I like things clean. I like things organized. I like I don't that. like clutter in my way. <laughs> I, I like love things. that.
1: How many times you go over somebody's house and it's oh. like an A-bomb victim embarrassing. from Nagasaki. And, yeah. like, uh, and they always say to you this. They always say this. I don't want you to think like this is a representation of who you're I like am. But it
0: actually is. This is a great representation. <laughs> but
1: that's what it is. It's yeah. That's what everybody. E- oh
3: God.
0: Yeah.
1: I c- don't get me started with that. <laughs> it's so
0: true. But I mean I feel like you've kind of summed it up but I want to hear you say it explicitly like y- you know you I don't think are you able to say what the w- number 1 or number 2 thing is you think that makes someone successful that's my first part of the question. Second part of the question is do you think it has anything to do with the amount of time that you put in? You know some people say in comedy it's like you got to you won't be great in for you know for 10 years or 7 years or whatever people's do you think any of that matters or or is it more like you were saying not having doubt and um and uh things like that?
1: well, do you know buy
0: into that myth of th- or not myth, but that theory of ten years do you
1: well the theory of ten years you gotta always look at patterns Mm-hmm. Uh, life is all about patterns, but yeah. also as an artist, it's about changing the pattern, yeah if you're not doing things a certain way, changing the pattern that you're doing it, yeah. It's about that person with the apartment that's uh, a bomb shelter, and the next time you go, and it's clean, and you're like, wow, I guess they... Oh, that's or it's yeah. about the person who's been drinking for 20 years, mm-hmm. and then one day they go to AA, and they stop drinking. Mm-hmm. There's comedians that we both know who shall remain nameless Yeah. that you know could be superstars, and they still get gigs here and there, and mm-hmm. they still make money. Mm -hmm. And you see them on television, but you know when you're at the improv watching them drink their sixth beer out of a green bottle that, hey, maybe this guy would be better off if he actually put the drink down and stopped chasing pussy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. uh, But the thing is, is that... The 10-year thing is if you look at television, Mm -hmm. look at all the television shows that star a stand-up comedian Mm -hmm. that have gone to syndication and name me all of the shows that have gone to syndication that are with comedians who haven't been doing comedy 10 years.
2: None, really?
1: None. Maybe if you consider uh, the Wayans brothers, stand-up comedians from the beginning. Yeah. You might be able to say them. Yeah. But for the most part, every show, Hanging with Mr. Cooper, King of Queens, Seinfeld, Everybody Loves Raymond, yeah. Louis. it's just every single one, y- Aziza's show, Master of the. Na- every si- single one is a comedian that's been doing it at least 10 years. Tim yeah. Allen, Home Improvement. Yeah. Roseanne it just that's always the way it is and so you have to put the time in
0: i kind of like that i don't i don't want to make it before i'm ready i want to put the time in
1: but there are people who you know they're three years in and they're like getting a standing ovation and you're like holy shit Mm -hmm. and those people can book roles Mm -hmm. and they can do things like that and they can get where they're gonna go um before that but Mm -hmm. it's very rare it's like maybe Maybe one percent of one percent. And so it's rare
0: that it's lasting though, usually too. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. really
1: last. Like, you know, and that's the way it is, and I don't want to mention names, but we Do you all think know it's because
0: they're getting seen too early yeah, yeah.
1: People get impatient. Yeah. And they want to be seen early, they wanna get that show now. They want everything. I wanna get Montreal now. Yeah. I wanna get Montreal now. Yeah. Well y- no, you know that the Kevin Hart, he wanted he got Montreal, he wanted it, he wanted, it, he wanted it. He wanted it. Yeah. His manager said, You know what? We're not doing He's like, what?
0: I think that's great. I, I listened to them on the, on the podcast. I'm, I f- firmly believe in that kind of thing. Because I look back at times, you know, a long time ago. And I thought, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty girl in L.A. And I, I've been acting for a long time. Now I do stand-up. And I'm not bad at it. This is years ago. I was like, I should make it by now. I'm so happy I didn't make it then. <laughs> like I would not have been ready. I would have embarrassed myself. I'm so happy I didn't make it before. I, I didn't take, you know, Second City for, you know, a year and a half, two years or whatever. Like, I I, I wasn't doing the right things, and I was doing some of the right things, but I wasn't doing all of the right things, and I didn't deserve it. Yeah, I wouldn't have th- deserved it, and I wouldn't have probably done that well. I'm happy that
1: it... You need to put the time yeah. in, and you n- in, in everything, you need yeah. to put the time in to get where you want to go. That doesn't mean it can't happen before then. Yeah. It can, but your body of work speaks for itself and then y- the other pieces of the puzzle are you can't be self-destructive mm-hmm. you know it these are doesn't matter what job you're in yeah you know if you got a great job at the law firm and you lose your temper in your office and everyone can hear you there chances are you're not going to have a job <laughs> that long yeah if you're the guy who uh, is in the Seven Eleven and you're managing the Seven Eleven, mm-hmm. and you're taking down the numbers of the girls' credit cards and whatever and saying, <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> have your number yeah. there, chances are you're not going to get to where you're going to go. Yeah. But if you're doing stuff where you are doing the right thing, how many comedians do you see every night at the club? Their sole purpose in going to the club, the guys are doing their set.
3: Mm-hmm
1: and getting laid that night finding an audience member yeah. who they can fuck and take home yeah and then they wake up at the crack of two and they start the process again yeah i mean i could put a list together of these yeah. people that would be endless yeah um and the thing is for your audience who are in any business whatever it is but especially entertainment every hour is it's 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 valuable let's i'll give you an example um let's pretend you're the kind of person who i don't know you like to play video games you Mm -hmm. know when you like to do an hour a day playing video games yeah and that's what means something to you and let's just say forget let's just say five hours a week you you like to play your video games Mm -hmm. okay so five hours times 52 weeks is 260 hours Mm -hmm. a year 260 hours divided by a normal let's say 40 hour week or something like that that's you know that's seven or eight weeks Mm -hmm. or six or seven or eight weeks of straight that's awful work that you could be doing you know working on your acting yeah Working on your stand-up, studying comedians, mm-hmm. figuring out how to be a great podcaster, writing a book, mm-hmm. but instead you're playing Donkey Kong yeah, or killing somebody in a military operation <laughs> that Arnold Schwarzenegger told you to do. yeah, And these are things that people don't understand. And so what you're doing that's smart you're quietly and silently like an um, like a ninja just (laughs) working on these areas of your life and working on them and one day you're going to audition for this thing and it's not going to be a Carl's Jr commercial which (laughs) I listened (laughs) to that was very funny um, and you're going to do your thing Mm -hmm. and you're going to make you're going to get a gig Mm -hmm. you're going to get a gig and people are going to turn around after they see you on that show just like they do when they see the rankings of the podcast and they say, what the fuck? <laughs> what happened? How did she? What? Holy shit. <laughs> and that's what it's all about. I it like just the thought of
0: silently working and then coming out of nowhere.
1: It's just creating those holy shit moments mm-hmm. and blowing people the fuck away. I don't care where you are. I don't care if you're you know, trying out for the high school football team mm-hmm. or your drummer in drumline, whatever it is, wherever you go, mm-hmm. there's a plethora of people who don't want you to get where you want to go because they're takers. Yeah. Yes, there's a lot of givers, mm-hmm. but there's a lot more takers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you go to the comedy club, No one wants you to be the best comedian that night. They want to be the best. Mm -hmm. When you go from Harvard Law into that new firm, do you think those (laughs) 10 new people from the Ivy League schools who are at that firm want you to make partner before them? No, they don't. Yeah. And so you have to figure out how to navigate to be that person who's going to just completely fuck people up and change the pattern of what's been happening in that scene look at the comedy store this is Mm -hmm. a fascinating thing in comedy i just want to share this and i'm sharing this Uh and i don't even go to the comedy store that much Mm -hmm. but you know you have these three comedy clubs here you have the improv you have the laugh factory and the comedy store yeah about two years ago if you were ranking the success of of those clubs, mm-hmm. depending on the month or whatever, you might say the Laugh Factory was yeah. number one, followed closely by the Improv number two, and the Comedy Store a way distant third. Mm-hmm. Then there'd be some months where you'd be like, okay, the improv, God, they got all these great shows in there, and then they just rebuilt the bar. It's amazing. They're number one, Laugh Factory number two, comedy store, distant (laughs) third. Yeah. They had a guy working there who was a great, wonderful guy, at least great to me. Yeah. He did things his way. He did things the way he believed in. And he stuck to his guns, and he had a lot of great relationships. But like anything else, maybe some relationships weren't so great. Mm-hmm. The owners of the comedy store made a change—a very difficult change. Mm-hmm. They changed the pattern, and they put somebody else in charge of the booking. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if I should mention the guy's name. I mean, I, I know you don't have you to can mention his it. name. It's, it's okay. all right. All right. I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> do anything to, to anybody. They put a guy into the job Mm -hmm. similarly to you in the podcasting world. Mm -hmm. The guy had little or no experience at all. If you could count the hours that he had in booking comedians, Mm -hmm. it probably was like a fraction of anything. Mm -hmm. But he comes in and he has a plan in his mind. He has a thought process of what he's going to do first thing i believe he thinks and i've never spoken to him about it so Uh i'm just saying this in my mind the first thing is i want to create the relationships and build back the relationships of the people that were lost here and i want to bring those people back which he did i want to bring them back i want to let them know that they can feel safe Mm -hmm. here at the comedy store and they have a home at the comedy store like richard Pryor had a a home yeah and Kinison and I'm going to bring them back in and then I'm going to take out the people who I perceive to have maybe a lesser attitude or a bad attitude or just like and and take those people out who I feel are 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 negative and Mm -hmm. not bringing anything to the club people have worked here a long time tough decisions but I'm going to take them out yeah I'm going to keep the people in who everybody respects but might not be household names guys like kirk fox who Mm -hmm. goes on every night anywhere and like anytime you see him is amazing and 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 doesn't talk shit about anybody and is funny off stage and on stage and you like being around and you get that core people Mm -hmm. and you know what's happened now as horrible as it is for maybe the other comedy clubs the comedy store is the number one comedy club in Los Angeles right now, followed by either the Improv or the Laugh Factory, mm-hmm. Laugh Factory, the Improv. Because a guy goes in, he works hard, he might not have the experience, mm-hmm. but he does things differently, he changes the pattern, he creates a new environment, and all of a sudden those comedy clubs that I'm talking about turn around and they say, what the fuck happened? Mm-hmm. What is going on? We were number one, what the fu- <laughs> we have 19 comedy clubs across the free world. How did this place? Yeah. It still looks like it's a, in a time <laughs> capsule from 1982. There's a coffee table that's a piano that people did coke off of in 1987. <laughs> it's still here, but yet they have the best club. How is that possible?
0: The history is part of it, but yeah. And
1: so that's the thing is that wherever you go, hmm you know that there's people who are going to be trying to be number one, but you have yeah. to figure out how to navigate and take the mantle. Mm-hmm. The comedy store took the mantle. Now, don't think that the comedy store is going to have the mantle forever. Oh, yeah, yeah. They might not even have it for this month <laughs> because the other guys are trying to plan ways to make yeah. it better. Look at Netflix, what they just did. They just spent $40 million dollars for Chris Rock to do two hour specials, $40 million, Uh okay? Why did they spend $40 million for Chris Rock to do two hour specials? Uh Because there's Chris Rock and there's everybody else. (laughs) And maybe it could be argued, and I will argue this, that maybe there's Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle and everybody else. Yeah, And even other comics would say, no matter how great they are, that they know they're as good as those guys are for a certain period of time or whatever, but they haven't had the longevity, they yeah. haven't had the television, and they haven't had whatever, but they are that level, but they have the, yeah. d- the world doesn't know yet. Yeah, And so he gets that much money because Netflix knows that HBO wants to keep Chris Rock. The pattern is mm-hmm. Chris Rock, HBO. Yeah. Well, how do you change the pattern? In that case, you have to overpay. Yeah. And, and if Chris Rock were sitting here, I would still say overpay. <laughs> yeah. And he's the greatest. Yeah. And I love him. And I yeah. have so much respect for him. But the fact is, is that there's a bidding war. And if you want to get something, you have to pay. It's like Fox with football when they wanted to get in the NFL. Mm-hmm. You have to pay the fiddler. Yeah. And so Netflix changes the pattern. Mm-hmm. Now they have Chris Rock. They have the guy, and they have him exclusively for the next two specials. But you know what? It's two specials. Yeah. And so now the other people in their mind know, okay, if we want to get this guy, let's make plans to get this guy for Mm -hmm. after these two specials.
0: I see. So changing the pattern. Yeah. I like it. Well, I should probably let you get back to work because I feel like I've taken your entire two hours of lunch.
1: It's unbelievable. <laughs> at least I tour. lost weight while I'm talking <laughs> This is
0: fantastic. This has been my longest podcast. That's great.
1: I'm sorry. No,
0: I like it. I, it's, I didn't want you to stop. I feel like I've learned so much. I hope my listeners have
1: learned this much. Are you mad at me for going toe-to-toe with you? Not at all. You sure? Is not no, not at all. Okay. I
0: thought you were... I mean, I felt like you were You were pretty fair and pretty nice. Oh. You know, I didn't think
1: it was I'm that bad. I'm a nice bad. guy once you get to hate me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no. But
1: I, I do have respect for what you're doing and i am really really excited for you and i would never have agreed to do this if (laughs) i didn't
0: i know that yeah i really appreciate it and i'm 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 thrilled to have you here
1: and i wish you the best that life has to offer
0: and listen to his podcast on itunes it's called industry standard Do you want to give your social media handles
1: just at Barry Katz. That's all uh, you need to know Twitter <laughs> handle but because uh, I'm not really functional in social media because I can't do... They say those who can't manage. Yeah. So <laughs> I have go. no idea what... If you told me how to Instagram right now, this I would have no idea what to do. <laughs> I'm not that great at it either. Don't worry about it. But the point is, I tell you, honestly, this has been great. And if you guys do listen to Industry Standard, I, I guarantee you it's like a free resource. It will... I can't even believe I'm saying this. If you can get past the sound of my voice, <laughs> it will change your life forever. These stories, these people are amazing. Yeah, they're
0: amazing. It really is. It's it's my favorite podcast.
1: Oh.
2: Yeah, absolutely. God,
1: that means so much to me. I will tell you this. What? Sock puppet story. <laughs> my favorite story. I've listened to it a long time. Oh,
2: gosh.
0: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys.